And here's what open source does. And it gives you that feedback. It gives you that experience. It made you, makes, made me for sure a better developer because you got to think not just about like, okay, here's this thing that I'm making and it's kind of a black box. It's just for me. Maybe someone's going to open it in three years from now, but hey, that's three years from now. Who cares? Hello, everyone. My name is Maciej Nowak, and welcome to the Awesome to Know podcast, where we discuss all things WordPress. And this episode is different from previous ones, because today we have not one, but two guests. We will be talking about an open-source library called Timber with Jared Novak, founder of Upstatement Agency, and Lukas Gachter, a very prominent contributor to Timber. And we will discuss a range of topics, from why would you even start um, contributing to an open-source project, to what you can learn from the process, and also many other things. If you don't want to miss new episodes and keep learning about WordPress, subscribe to Awesome to Know newsletter at awesomestudio.com slash newsletter. This is osomstudio.com slash newsletter. If you watch this on YouTube, give us a thumb and subscribe to the channel. This means a word to us. Without further ado, please enjoy my conversation with Jared and Lucas. everyone, it's good to have you here. We're glad you decided to tune in for this episode of the Awesome to Know podcast. Hello, gentlemen. Pleasure to have you on the podcast. Thank you very much for making the time. Well, thank you. It's a lot of fun to, to get together and be able to talk about this stuff. Exactly, exactly. Uh, Jared, good morning, Mr. Novak, as we used to yes, joke. Yes, good morning, Mr. <laughs> good evening, Mr. Novak. Exactly, exactly. Exactly. Lucas, great to have you here as well. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's great to yeah. be here. Yeah. So this is first time I'm recording with two guests. Uh, I'm a little bit nervous how to manage it. So uh, you know, everything is on the everything bad is on the on on this humble host. Um, and uh, so maybe let's start with introducing yourself. Uh, from my left to right, Jared, Lucas, can you can you introduce yourself to to our listeners? Sure. So I'm Jared Novak. Uh, I am co-founder uh, over at an agency called Upstatement here in the U.S., uh, but most relevant today's discussion also started the um, Timber Project uh, about 10 years ago now, maybe 11. Oh, gosh, 11 years ago, um, which is a tool for WordPress, uh, which I collaborate on with Lucas and many others and excited to dive into today. Perfect. Lucas? Yeah, I'm... Um... Uh, Lukas Gechter. I live in Switzerland in a small town called Winterthur with my family. And I also own a small design and development agency with a couple of friends. We mostly work for smaller companies and organizations. And uh, we do brand strategy, print and digital design, and a lot of websites. And um, that's also why we, we came to use Timber. Um, I started using it back in 2015 and then quickly did my first pull request, um, first pull request ever <laughs> actually, uh, for timber. And, um, yeah, I started contributing then and, uh, have been doing that ever since. <laughs> Perfect. We will get to that uh, first pull request, uh, in let's say due course, but <laughs> what interests me like very, very much is how to uh, agency owners, uh, uh, you know, divided by notion, 
<laughs> how did you guys started to work together uh, on that project? So I, I'm very curious about the very start. So Lucas, you mentioned this, you, you started using Timber. So maybe Jared, can you, you know, explain a little bit more about the, uh, the reason for creating such a project? Yeah, and I think it's it's interesting that you know Lucas also does both programming like I do, but also has to uh, own the agency and kind of be responsible at the end of the day because that's what really led to Timber's creation, and that was seeing all the ways in which designers and engineers were stuck using WordPress together, and all of like the ways that WordPress is theming. Um, layer was really preventing good collaboration between people who knew how to build stuff on the back end and the designers who, you know, knew obviously the visuals, but also just enough CSS and HTML and JavaScript to get them get themselves into trouble. Well, you can get yourself uh, into a lot of trouble when you're dealing with PHP directly, and that's what WordPress has you do out of the gate or with any of the you know default 2015, 2016 themes and stuff that we were kind of coming up against at the beginning. And what, why we wanted, uh, I wanted something like Timber to exist. And I was looking for it. I said, certainly someone else has had this problem. Certainly someone else has already done this. And what I found in looking through all of these resources was this amazing templating layer called Twig. And I said, again, great. Someone's made this. I'm sure someone has integrated this already with WordPress. You know, the world's most uh, used and comprehensive CMS runs 20, 30, 35% of the internet. Certainly, certainly this already exists. And it did, you know, I saw a few sort of like started and then quickly abandoned projects. And then I had that lightning bolt of like, well, when you realize that someone should do this, maybe you are the person who should do it. So that was the thing that sort of led to it getting off the ground and a lot of like late nights or plane flights or train rides where I tried to like piece those pieces together so that we could really unlock and and create a layer that designers and front-end designers could be comfortable in working with HTML and CSS and doing some really, you know, interesting and in some ways even like very complicated sort of like template uh, logic and, and management, but then also kind of keep that cleanly separated from the PHP layer and what a backend engineer really needs to dive into. So that's where it came from. And that's the thing that really helped unlock kind of a big thing at our agency where all of a sudden we were able to really streamline that collaboration. And we had great WordPress people, we had great HTML and CSS people, and now they could collaborate through Timber. All right. And um, for our listeners, can you dig even more into what Timber is now? Because, you know, this is a 10-year history, 11-year history. I've been... <laughs> I, I've been digging into, you know, yeah. um, uh, history this 10 years and coincidentally you were first because uh, <laughs> I was I was curious if this was the for the name, the timber, it, was it inspired by uh, that uh, song that was very popular oh, yeah. 10 years ago? <laughs> yes. But I, 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 dug, I, I dug into uh, Comet history and you were first before, before they released their, uh, their song. Uh, called timber as right. well but I, I was i was curious if this was related it, it, it's not <laughs> no no we beat kesha and pitbull by a couple years uh, but we did play that song at my wedding which was a lot of fun um so timber it's kind of a you know looking at twig which is the template language that timber uses the inspiration was to to kind of follow kind of like the twig i don't know woodland themed naming convention i guess 
So that's where that came from. And, and, you know, where things started in terms of like the code base was very much like, you know, these are Upstatement's needs. These are Jared's needs. It had a lot of ways of connecting PHP and that logic and WordPress to Twig, but also a lot of things that, um, were probably unnecessary. A lot of things with like routes and how you handled uh, paths, a lot of stuff with different sort of utilities and shortcuts, things that Upstatement was building it for. Um, and it really helped us. But then as we started to open it to a wider group, um, you know, the world over, realized that we had overbuilt it in a lot of places. And actually, that's, I think, a big part of what Lucas and other contributors have done, where it's like, how can we streamline this and make it really great at what it's supposed to do. And I think that is really kind of um, a big underlying philosophy of a version 2.0 that we just released in the last few months. Mm-hmm. Exactly, because we started um, uh, talking about recording this episode when there were plans for a 2.0 release. Now it's uh, out in the public for a couple of months. And um, I'm curious, you know, Lucas, maybe you can uh, you can answer this. Um, also, to give us a like bigger picture from your perspective, how it started for you. You mentioned that you started using it for your uh, own agency and then started contributing. So I'm curious, you know, um, why why did you uh, you know get, got involved? Why, why did you get involved in this project? Yeah. Well, first. Um... For us, it wasn't really the same reason that we started using Timber. It was not that um, it was easier to collaborate, collaborate on projects because we're such a small agency. It's mostly just one developer working on a project. But um, because we have so many similar clients, which are small companies, and uh, all these uh, companies have the same needs, usually. And we were just thinking, like, yeah, we are reinventing the wheel with every theme that we build from a basic starter theme. And so um, we realized that when, when we could use Timber, it was just easier to, to build components that you can reuse. And while, yeah, while also um, having, having a code base that feels like it's, um, it's a little cleaner. Um, we really didn't like the, that uh, you had uh, everything in a PHP file and just when looking at it, it, it was it was hard to to see like uh, what's going on here. So yeah, we also tried to to fix that. And Timber was like kind of a revelation. <laughs> Just uh, worked really well from the beginning. And uh, yeah, we we started it using it in all of our projects, and um, then actually built kind of a a starter package. Um, for websites that we build. So um, yeah, in Timber, you also have to start a theme, um, which I guess many developers use to, to start out um, a website, but we we actually took some kind of that code and then built our own thing, which is also um, a very good use case for what you can use uh, Timber, I guess. And yeah, then, if you if you start using a library, you quickly realize, yeah, I I also need that, or oh, here's a bug, <laughs> and and I could fix that. Um, so yeah, wh- why not do a pull request? Maybe it's going to be accepted. First, it was like I was like really nervous because <laughs> it was my first pull request ever, uh, and I, I thought like, oh yeah, I'm gonna have to describe it really well, 
um, so that <laughs> it hopefully gets accepted. But um, then it was was no problem, just went through. <laughs> and uh, that motivated me to like, yeah, so I realized I can actually, um, I can actually introduce uh, changes that I need. So I can, I can also have a say in the project. So um, just to be able to, um, to define something or create something new in it that helps you as a as a developer in your in your daily life but also the thinking um that it could also help others so the motivation that uh, any change you make could help thousands of developers is actually like, really nice <laughs> um yeah giving back or helping people is actually um was quite a quite a motivation for me to contribute there are few other reasons why <laughs> why i i contribute yeah because this is this is one one thing is that um you started using it but then you started contributing and and uh, my question like more broader would be also why why even contribute to any open source this this was for you like okay i have this i'm using this stuff right so in my best interest is to fix as much as much elements in within this because then i will benefit from it but also you know on a more broader scale let's say why why should you even start thinking about contributing um, to open source at all maybe you know because there's so much open source written you know thousands of people are writing open source but there are so many times more developers <laughs> just like using that 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 stuff and there is that famous picture with, with with blocks you know a lot of different huge blocks commercial blocks of software standing on one very tiny like a straw of open source uh, one man uh, show uh, project let's say Mm, you know, solo solo developer uh, supporting that open source project uh, for for the giants to to use that. So this is very famous, uh, uh, like a description depiction of how open source sometimes uh, software sometimes work. And you know, just maybe for the listeners who are you know didn't never never made that barrier through which um, you you went like okay, this is my first pull request. And I am I am doing it, even though I'm stressed. You know, maybe this is prevent this prevents some people from doing it. So I, you know, this is a very long question. But to shorten it, why should you contribute to open source project? That's that's quite a hard question. <laughs> maybe yeah, I, I I won't go and tell anybody. Well, you should contribute to open source because um, it's can be very time consuming, can be frustrating at times. Um, you're doing it for free, um, so um, it's it's actually like a hobby. So you really have to like to do it. Um, there are cases where like uh, agencies give developers the time to contribute to open source, um, but yeah, the, I think it's it's a big problem of the of the web industry or the tech industry um, in general that. Uh, so much depends on open source and developers who give their give the time to work on stuff and um, they are not really compensated for that even though um, yeah like big companies also 
uh, like the biggest one, like Apple, <laughs> is uh, uh, relies on libraries that are um, that are just free. Um, and I see it a lot in in many uh, discussions on GitHub as well and social media that uh, this is a, a big problem. Um, to which I think nobody really has a solution. <laughs> I I can just uh, talk from personal experience what it what it brought me to contribute, and um, for me as a as a developer who is uh, working in a small agency, um, for me it it opened up a world of, uh, to work with others. So um, after studying. Uh, the question for me was, yeah, where where am I going to work? Am I going to work at this, as a small agency uh, where I'm also the owner and can uh, can uh, decide myself where where we're going to go, or uh, am I going to work in a in a bigger agency where I maybe have um, senior developers who help me uh, through my experiences and um, teach me a lot of things um, where um, yeah, where the, the path that I that chose was a uh, was a path where I am mostly for myself um, when when coding, and that was actually kind of nice to to be able to just uh, start working with other developers and also putting yourself out there and seeing yeah where where am I with my skills? <laughs> I I still don't think I'm a I'm a I'm a really good developer. Um, I I would say I'm an average developer, but um, there's just so much more around um, um, developing um, with the project management and stuff, writing documentation and stuff. So that that all um, goes into that, and uh, I think yeah. So this this is it actually just, where I'm going to disagree with you, Lucas. <laughs> You're definitely not an average developer. And maybe like in 2014, before you got involved, maybe, maybe, maybe that might have been true. And here's what open source does. And it gives you that feedback. It gives you that experience. It made you, makes made me for sure a better developer because you got to think not just about like, okay, here's this thing that I'm making and it's kind of a black box. It's just for me. Maybe someone's going to open it in three years from now, but hey, that's three years from now. Who cares? Uh, instead, you're making stuff that other people are going to rely upon. Other people are going to scrutinize. Other people are going to make sure that like, it doesn't contain glaring sort of like security or memory leaks or other things like that. It, it, it changes your mindset. And when, you know, before people would say, oh, you know, you got to do testing, test-driven development and stuff. I said, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, look, we got, you know, a dozen websites we got to jam out. We don't have time for that. All of a sudden you realize, oh, this is where test-driven development makes sense. This is how I can include that in a sustainable and sensible way. Um, I need to be able to communicate not just uh, the code. And Lucas, this is a thing that always jumped out about your early contributions, but the why, the how, the uh, considerations, like why I chose path A instead of path B and which is better and is path B better, but it's going to take, you know, so much longer or involve so much more risks. Like those are the things in my mind that take someone from an average to an excellent developer is 
Yes, it is the code, but it is all of those surrounding things around the code, the why, the communication, the documentation. And that's something that open source is going to force you into. Whereas if you are working at a small agency or your own shop, you just don't get that structure or feedback. So I think that is just a a huge benefit that open source provides to young engineers. Yeah, it was definitely the case for me. Me too. <laughs> with with the with the example that, that you that you, you said like for me it was it was also a lot of uh, thinking out loud. Um when I when I wrote down these lengthy uh, issue descriptions uh, I mostly just uh, noted down what I what I was learning about the problem without already finding a solution <laughs> and kind of hoping that people jumped in and um would would help me figure it out as well. And you take that against what we see a lot in some pull requests where people will say like, hey, good news, I fixed, uh, you know, 10,000 lines of code or, you know, tabs to spaces or spaces to tabs or whatever it is. And they give you two sentences and you're like, what can I do with this? And the ability, and maybe it is a natural ability that you have or something you developed to kind of like put your thinking out there um, in the message and allow others to sort of like, not just see the end result, but see the thinking and the questions that sort of brought you to that solution. That is valuable, not just on GitHub, but in so many sort of like engineering conversations that happen between different, you know, senior or principal level engineers where they're trying to figure out some really fundamental and important questions that could guide sort of the technical architecture for a long time for a particular product or company. Those discussions and being able to be confident and comfortable sort of like both putting yourself out there, but also the humility to listen and the humility to recognize, oh, I was totally wrong about that. And this other person has a much better idea. That takes a communication muscle and open source is going to help you develop that, especially because so much of what we have to do. And I say we, and of course you guys are the ones who actually have to do it. Not, you know, this, this dumb American, you're translating that across language and culture sometimes. I think there is also another component which is obvious in this discussion, but it's all written communication, which is uh, missing um, now, maybe not so much missing in the remote era, in the era of remote work, where so much more is done uh, in written form. But, you know, before COVID, uh, everyone worked from, most of people worked from, from the office. And those were just discussion, you know, um, live discussions on meeting and so on. But when you have to um, explain the problem you encountered in a way and in a fashion that is understandable after first reading, it's totally different game of communicating um, clearly and uh, coherently that so that other contributors will will understand and will want to read this and and follow through and 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 so on. And this is you know, no mental shortcuts and, and, and stuff. And this makes it totally different way of communicating that publishing, let's say, on an open source project done in a free time. So, you know, I can spend as much time as I want because it's my free time. Uh, so it changes the way you also work in your workplace because you hone that skill of writing in a clear way so that you are um understood under uh, after the first reading yeah that's surely um one thing <laughs> i always strive for um and uh yeah the thing about um 
written communication is also really nice. I realized like um, we are now talking about problems that we also talked about five years ago. <laughs> and I remember we talked about them. So, <laughs> um, but when I say talk, like, yeah, we wrote about them in um, buried somewhere in a pull request or an issue. <laughs> and I, I oftentimes um, just search for some keywords and try to find uh, that discussion. And that really helps. Like you have a you have a really long trail of of history in the in that re GitHub repository, and uh, um, I think it prevents you from from doing too many loops over <laughs> over certain topics. Um, but uh, I, yeah, like maybe maybe it's it's difficult if if new contributors come in, then then they just um, see the, the current copies and they they have to rely on somebody that knows a little bit about where where we have come from and um what problems we uh encountered along the way yeah it makes me think lucas when you were kind of talking earlier about um you know why timber and stuff and the organization that it promotes in regards to like having like well-structured themes instead of these messy PHP files. And at one level, you could think like, okay, you know, that's just aesthetic, who cares? But what you're getting to is the why it really matters. Because when you're trying to maintain business-critical code bases over a period of years, being able to have smart organization and, you know, kind of like a paper trail of decisions, you know, why is this organized like this how do how did we decide why did we decide that so that 2 years later someone doesn't spend you know 3 weeks of their time digging a hole that someone already dug and then patched over those are some of the big architectural challenges that organizations now have because unlike you know even just 5 or 10 years ago it's like i don't know we have a website we have an app who cares it's cool now it's like oh no your business is that app. Your business is that product, that website. So it makes a lot of sense to, to invest and spend money to have really great organization and have really great sustainability in there so that the reasons, the decisions and so forth can be well-architected. And therefore, you spend your time not redigging the same holes, but rather not, maybe not digging new holes, but you're actually building something. And, and that's what good technical architecture allows for um, and promotes and why you have to be kind of like a uh, great or excellent to great developer or engineer to start to have a meaningful impact. And again, that's, that is just an escalator that you can take with open source as opposed to um, trying to do it on the job where the stakes are very different, the eyes are very different. And the amount of permission that you might have to grow or to fail is going to be much more limited because it is on someone else's dime. I have a feeling it's somewhere between said between the lines is that you are taking over some parts of the project in a way you want to you want to. So you are you are you are not asking for permission, you are doing this, and with your pull request, you are making it happen. And then okay, the, the review kicks in and everything, but you you have some kind of a um like real influence over a piece of code that will influence then you know those thousands of uh, of other developers. So I, I I think this is this is amazing, and I I wanted to go back a little bit uh, in history, uh, Jared, to you 
so we know why to contribute to to a project, but why to wh why do you open source something that can be your competitive advantage as a company? Because this started within uh, your agency, and this is a business decision to open source this. You know, mm -hmm. so why? Uh, well, number one, it is amazing to get free contributions to your work from all Fair over enough. the world. So, so Fair enough. Reason. Let me tell you a real story, which is that we were bidding on a project and the um, uh, client was interviewing us and they said, okay, we're talking to this other agency. They recommend that we use this uh, WordPress system called Timber. Is that something that you would also recommend or you also use? And I said, well, as it so happens, we actually wrote that library and maintain it here at Upstatement. And that was kind of the end of that conversation. Uh, and we got that job. So you're able to establish um, a, a authority for yourself because now it isn't just some sort of secret proprietary sauce that you sprinkle on in the back end, but it can become a part of the kind of technical vocabulary that people might have or they're evaluating. Further, when we go in to meetings sometimes and we're, we're having to talk about our technical approach, we will often, assuming that is what we recommend for that project, talk about timber talk about how we've used it. But then we also have the other validation that says, let me give you a list of some of the other agencies that you might be familiar with who also use it. Let me give you a list of other organizations who use it. We're able to rattle off top universities, tech companies. Uh, here, uh, President Obama's uh, foundation uses it on their website. So we, you know, we list these kind of big headline names. Some of them might be from the upstatement portfolio, but we're able to sort of scale the upstatement portfolio and anyone, any agency that uses it and we're able to kind of like peek into the code and figure it out, that becomes a feather in our cap to go through and say, hey, it's good enough for President Obama. We hope it's good enough for your organization. I love it. I love it. It's it's a success story, I I, I would say. But, so, but but you know, building on, on, on what you said that um a lot of it, it, it takes, I don't know, a greed or um, a lot of effort to maintain a project over many years. And there are so many projects that appear and then disappear or just get abandoned. So, you know, what, what, what makes you or what makes a good open source project? Why, you know, because if you are going to invest some of your free time uh, instead of, you know, running, cycling, whatever you code for free somewhere, something, you know, how to choose a project that you want to contribute to, because then you, 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 you might end up in contributing to, you know, at the very early stage, which, which is very like rewarding that you built part of the initial framework. But then if it gets not, if it goes nowhere, this is, you know, a sad feeling, I guess. Right. Well, that's the thing. Results not guaranteed. And, um, I would say that like this is where Timber's contribution community makes all the difference. If it was still just a one-man show, so to speak, if it was just an upstatement-only thing, Timber would be long gone and into the past. What I think you're trying to do both as a maintainer and a contributor is to create that virtuous cycle. And that's easier said than done, but making sure that um, you know, from kind of like the origination end, I am not too precious about sort of like where things go because the truth is um, Lucas, Eric, Nicholas, others who are working with Timber just as much and now far more than I am have a better read on the current landscape 
and being able to let go of some of the things that I thought might have been important. And maybe they were important in 2014, but we're not in 2014 anymore. We're in 2024. So I think the the difference is you have to either A, decide that I am optimizing it for the current point in time, or I'm optimizing it for something broader. And, and if you choose that, you're also choosing to sort of let go a little bit and allow things to take form and to take shape with what the current technology landscape demands. I don't know, Lucas, you're you're confronting this much more. Um, I'm interested kind of like what, what you see as the difference maker there. I guess the difference between sort of like, um, like we were talking about, what's the difference between that dead end thing that someone puts on GitHub and it seems like the new hotness for a month or two, and then you check back a year later and it says, you know, this repo has been archived, please use blah, blah, blah. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> I think, <laughs> yeah. If if a project if a project hits hits uh, some kind of threshold where uh, enough people are using it, um, then maybe it's hard to kill. <laughs> if if it uh, if it's it's not evolving in a way um, where it's. Um, something completely different um a couple of years later um but i think yeah so, some of the things you really have to to care about are um it's not like just uh, updates to the code itself but also uh for example documentation um you always need to be aware um or to 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 really care about that everything that you uh, do and that you what you change is is documented. Um, we we also have a, a lot of inputs from um, from the community uh, through issues uh, or for example through Stack Overflow. We ask people to to ask uh, Timber support questions through Stack Overflow, and um, I read through a lot of those. And so. Um, you start to get a feeling for what people actually need or how they are using it and also where the parts are that they don't really get yet um and then you can start working uh, on these type of, of things like um one example is that i i realized that um there's because Timber grew how it grew, um, because Chad, you you added things that you needed on the way. There were a lot of inconsistencies around um, function names, for example. <laughs> <laughs> this isn't something that you that you anticipate if you if you start uh, writing a library, but then you you start to see like okay, well here's a problem, uh, and you don't you don't see this problem through reading one issue this this is a kind of problem that only emerges if you read hundreds of, of issues and maybe 200 questions on stack overflow you start to see patterns underlying patterns and um i think yeah this is then the interesting thing to solve like um it's it's it doesn't uh it's not about the uh, Singular features like okay, I want to I want to have this feature, but I actually want to make it. Um, 
I want to change the project in a way where it's uh, still usable and understandable uh, when you when it's evolved. Um, it's hard to describe that. <laughs> um, I mean, I mean, like, yeah. W w one example is the, uh, that is actually why why we introduced Timber Two, or why we we had to use uh, a next major version because there were so many underlying issues uh, that we wanted to solve. That I think if we didn't do that, um, it would um, it would just not work in the future and. The project would come to an end at some time. With open source is the approach is the community builds stuff de facto for themselves a little bit, right? This this started as a as a project to streamline the work at the agency, and I'm comparing this to a to to product companies that are building for their customers, trying to uh, trying to uh, you know figure out product market fit. Not always managing to do this and what's your opinion because it, it, it like mm, it came to my mind that these are totally opposite mm, ways of building software you build a SaaS platform or a product company and you are figuring out features for your customers and then you test it versus with open source you are building this for yourself but such software can also grow to a very considerable sizes or even create companies wordpress for example or automatic right the or or or, or other uh, huge organizations based on open source software so my my question to you is how how do you how would you like in your in your opinion how do you how would you compare building software for open like open source software versus products for customer customers and on top of it, do you also see any similar problems that you keep on building and building and building stuff that is unnecessary or not entirely required or just requires in 1% of cases and the waste of time uh, on this particular feature? Well, I'm not so sure that they are all that different. I mean, let you, you mentioned how it's the difference between building something for yourself or building something for, um, for a customer. A lot of software that we use actually was in this in-between zone. Like Slack famously, I think, began as a internal messaging tool built by a company that was trying to develop some sort of like video game. And they were like, well, we need, you know, just to kind of keep our video game developers kind of uh, in sync, we need to make this little internal messaging thing. And then little by little, they realized, wait a second, this internal messaging thing that's the thing. And they kind of kept following that thread. And what's powerful there is the idea that um, when you are the customer, and it just so happens that there are a million or who knows, billion other people just like you out there, wow, that gives you a real advantage because now you can go through those cycles really quick because you can say, does this help me in terms of what I am trying to do in terms of being in an office or in a development group versus having to rely on surveys, focus groups, other sorts of user testing, which you know is sometimes necessary, but it just slows down that process. In open source, you, you get to kind of start from that ideal spot of like, yes, you are a customer, so to speak, and there are going to be tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, maybe millions of other customers just like you out there. And the more your solution 
is actually solving your problem, and the more your problem is similar to the problems that others have, well, then you're really going to find that product market fit. Of course, you know, there are a million markets out there that are like, well, those people aren't developers or they don't use, you know, intra-company messaging services. So it doesn't quite work. Um, but it's it's all about that idea of like trying to shift, you know, where is that customer? Because the more you can internalize that customer through you being them or having great data, great surveys, great analytics, that's where you can kind of get into that cycle super, super quick. Mm -hmm. But don't you get into that trap of building more? Or is it like, because you you are doing this for yourself, you are so um, careful careful about your free time because you are doing this most of the time on the free, during your free time. So you are very careful about what you are spending time on. Uh, so you naturally avoid any like building traps for stuff that's, that will never be used. Oh, I'd say you naturally uh, build that stuff. You naturally do build the traps. You naturally do okay. kind of like get into the things. I mean, all the mistakes that you highlighted, Lucas, in terms of like it being very upstatement and Jared-centric at first, um, that is a part of you know my growth and learning that it's like um, you can be overfit to a particular market or a particular customer. I'm sure when you first looked at Timber, it's like there were parts that were really useful and there were parts that were like, okay, that is solving a very specific problem for one or two very specific people and trying to balance those two. And, you know, I learned a lot from watching Lucas and others sort of like take things apart and say, ooh, uh, that's not a normal you know, customer or for, for us, we need to kind of like better segment that out or recognize that this thing that we have built uh, is not as good as this thing that already exists. So let's separate those two, focus on the thing that we are really great at. And I think that that is just a lesson also of like SaaS software, where the software that tries to do too much and be all things to one customer or all things to all people, that tends to stumble and fail and sometimes spectacularly and very expensively. Whereas products that are able to really discipline themselves and have the confidence to say, I know what my customer is. I know what they need to do. I know also where I am going to kind of create some like hard lines and not go further. Very similar problems. Sometimes it is solved with a SaaS user interface. Sometimes it's solved with JavaScript and PHP and other code that makes some kind of um, opinionated choices about what we're going to do and what we're not. I, I wrote in one newsletter that riches are in the niches <laughs> or something <laughs> like this. <laughs> so that this very, very narrow uh, area of expertise for an agency, for example, or for their product is is the competitive advantage of, of knowing so much and so knowing so so the problem on such a deep level that you you are i don't know not maybe unbeatable but at least you have very very good fit for uh, for your ideal customer i'd also say that um like for for a saas um when when they build a product they they start to add these small features that help the customers um but for us as an open source an open uh, open source project um, I think we, we're more like a platform to help developers build those features. So um, that's what we tried to do recently to remove some um, some features that were there. Jared mentioned it, like uh, stuff that was uh, made sense for for very edge case scenarios. Um, 
but wouldn't make sense for a lot of developers. Um, we started to try to remove these cases and uh, move into a direction where it's more like, um, oh, you want to build that, this feature? Yeah, like um, you can use uh, this and that as a base for it, but um, maybe we won't give it a complete solution. Um, so in a way, I'd say it's yeah, it's more like a, a platform on which you build your own product. So in that sense, it's also a little different. Uh-huh. Well, let me let me uh, just hard disagree with you again, Lucas. Perhaps <laughs> okay. where some of the most successful SaaS software that we see uh, becomes that platform, right? It's um, uh, like let's take YouTube for example. You know, is YouTube like a piece of SaaS or is it a platform? And this is a trend you see in so many other places where it's like it tries to do something, but then they've invested a lot of space in figuring out how uh, an ecosystem can be created and a platform, the ways in which, you know, content creators can be a part of something, a way in which data can be exported and interact with, you know, everything from Zapier to data warehouses and things like that, like trying to recognize the ways in which a uh, piece of SaaS software is much more powerful when it actually recognizes that it is a part of a larger ecosystem and it's able to you know, use embeds and other sorts of like uh, ways of trading information back and forth to become an integral part of an individual or company's practices. So I, I, I see the differences, but I also see that these things are becoming more and more intertwined and there are ways and lessons from software and open source communities that SaaS can adopt and vice versa. Sure. <laughs> I can also see that now. <laughs> oh, you, you, tell me I'm wrong. Tell me I'm wrong. <laughs> you're, you're so full of BS on that one, Jared. You're just trying to make a, a mountain out of that. It's just all uh, yeah, like evolving in in waves and circles and loops. And um. Spe- Speaking of evolving, um, uh, I, I, I would like to get back also to that uh, 2.0 release because this is like a major, I don't know, breakthrough. For some reason, you decided to change that leading version from one to, uh, to two. So what was your, I don't know, planning process? Why did you decide to take this action? You know, just also from like a architectural or, or, or planning or growing a piece of software, why would you do this as a point uh, 2.0 instead of yet another, I don't know, minor revision? Right. Well, I'll start this one, which is to say that, like, I think with our, um, there came a point where we knew that, like, breaking changes would be necessary. You know, as much as we want to honor the idea of, you know, deprecation and, and allowing um, uh, for backwards compatibility, at some point, you kind of have to make a choice uh, that we encountered that it's like there is some stuff here that is just, you know, fundamentally in conflict with how it should be. And, um, really putting a stake in the ground and saying like, okay, this is where we're going to require that um, uh, people who want to go with us on the next stage also might have to change some things that were overly uh, edge case or were sort of a quirk of decisions or code back from you know the 20 teens or whatever to where we are today. Uh, now, how we got there, 
uh, was definitely a long road. And uh, Lucas, you're probably best to speak to some of those really significant changes and and why they have uh, such an impact on uh, development today. Yeah, <laughs> I can definitely talk a lot about Timber 2 because <laughs> it took such a long time to, to get there. It was also a learning that we had, like um, because uh, we're working on an open source project and it's not like... Uh, uh, just a website you do for a client that you come to update. Um, there's so many things you have to consider. There's so many details um, that you need to get right. And I guess we, we completely underestimated that <laughs> um, a couple of times. <laughs> so <laughs> In a row. <laughs> yeah. Hey, hey, um, th- th- there is that saying that... Uh, uh, 95% of the project uh, takes 95% of the time and the remaining 5% of the time uh, of the work uh, takes uh, the remaining 95% of the time <laughs> something like uh, to that to that effect mm. we we felt that for sure right yeah we, we had a lot of moments where we said oh yeah 2 2.0 is just around the corner and then <laughs> and then so many so many more issues and uh, problems popped up that we that we knew we we're gonna have to fix that before before a 2.0 release and then um we also started to to be more open to breaking changes then so we said like oh this is also an area that we we have to touch so let's think about how we could improve it so that it's not gonna uh be a problem in a year or two and um so what we really tried to do was um, to introduce a lot of breaking changes now that um, are going to be uh, necessary to have a good base to work uh, uh, in the future. Um, so I guess 2.0 is all about um, making things more consistent. This is uh, something that we already talked about, like um, uh, the functions that you actually use, how they are named, um, how these functions work across different types uh, of, um, uh, for example, posts or taxonomies or users or comments um, in WordPress, um, how you can uh, access different parts of, of these um functionality in Timber, we made that more consistent or try to do it. That's always uh, one thing that um, was a, a goal of mine to to make the API understandable and usable. Um, so that was, was always um, kind of the, the first approach that I took, like how, how, how should it look like uh, if I, as a developer, if I'm going to use it and then start to think about okay what 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 do we have to do in the back to to get it working um and it should work not only uh, for more experienced developers who are very um proficient in the in the mvc pattern and um php uh coding patterns it also has to work for uh developers who are more on an entry level uh who maybe just discovered um WordPress theming and also discovered Timber and then tried to make it work and maybe 
it's even their first uh, website coding project. So <laughs> we we also try to to consider um, that it uh, should work for different skill levels, and then yeah, of course it should also work for um, for more experienced developers. And uh, these developers they want to extend Timber uh, with uh, with different coding patterns. Uh, and we also did a lot under the hood to to make it possible to to extend timber in a way that uh, yeah that that's that's common in uh, PHP development I'd say. All right, but and not but but what was the most like um, difficult part here? Is it uh, developing that courage to start breaking things? Meaning, uh, um, you know, it wouldn't be backwards co- backwards compatible, and you know, you had to spend some time on it, <laughs> developing that muscle to finally make this make a decision. This will be two because we will break so many things that it, this is you know, this is totally different library. Let's say. Yeah, I'd say in some way the hardest part was knowing when to stop. Breaking things. All right. Yeah, 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 yeah. That, that building trap, right? Yeah. Because <laughs> it's like you, you, like Lucas is kind of saying. Well, we don't want to put uh, users through this constant cycle where every six months it's like the thing that you were used to gets kind of ripped out from underneath them. You want to say, okay, we're we're kind of resetting the table and doing that once. And towards the end, it was like, oh, but this one thing, you know, we just noticed and or just remembered and, oh, geez, it would only take, you know, a few, one last pull request, you know, give me one more, one more. And we at some point just said, nope, that's going to be 3.0 or that's going to be 2.1 or 2.5 or whatever. Like we just had to kind of say like, you know, the number of rooms in the house that we are renovating is extensive enough. And we accept that like, you know, 2.0 is not going to solve every single problem or every second level problem, but this is where we are stopping and we're going to make that really good. We're going to keep that commitment, but also we're going to make sure that there is now momentum to go forward and say that is going to happen in 2.1 or 2.2 or 3.0 and stuff. Um, Because I think the other risk is that you say, well, I need to now wait until it's perfect. And I think this is where we did get ourselves caught where um, that becomes a very sort of like delayed and pregnant big version. And it's just forever waiting, forever waiting, because it's one more thing, one more thing. It's the classic issue of scope creep, you know, and and being able to put out something that is really good and accepting that it's not perfect. And uh, indeed, you know, few, few things in this world have ever been. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then your users has to have to uh, catch up on so many elements. The bigger the 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 the, the bigger the uh, amount of changes, the more they have to learn. This is like a learning curve for them, barrier of entry for the old ones. New ones will get this. You know, they don't know about anything about previous versions, but those that have to switch, it's the the more they have to change, the more it's more difficult for them. Right. And that's also where you need the feedback as a developer around like, actually, even if what I would have done before I thought was perfect, based on the feedback that we're getting from the community, uh, it turns out we did something 
that is not perfect. And we need to go back and re-examine or rethink something that, hey, we thought we had kind of checked this off the list, but actually there are some issues. And I think that's where you you need that humility with your community to say, we're putting something out there and we do really want to learn from what is working out in the world, what is not, so we can come back and make it sharper and better in the next cycle. And so speaking about this, um, did you worsen any areas of the library? Because, you know, the the intention is we are getting better on every front, but uh, was it also the case that you made some areas you know, even worse? Uh, not even, just worse. Like, did you did your, did your communi- community like screamed at you, I want this reverted immediately? <laughs> some, some things we, we did um, in terms of... Um, how timber can be extended. We were we did it in a way that was um, too strict. <laughs> Maybe we wanted to be to cater to um, tools like PHP Stan, who who can show you a lot of issues um, through static analysis of the code, and uh, sometimes, yeah, we 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 followed a couple of um, suggestions it had. And then there came some developers who said, like, oh yeah, this is this isn't going to work for me. And um then we circled back actually on, on these ones. And I think we, we're still we're still waiting for feedback because um uh a lot of developers still have to do the the update. Um but I guess in general I hope uh <laughs> nothing is like Worse now, um, a lot of a lot of the things are different, and um, maybe you have to rewrite things uh, in your own code base, um, and it's also can also be a lot of work if you if you have uh, more advanced patterns that you use in your theme, and um, sometimes it's not going to be easy. Um, and and this is, I think your point there. Um, brings up that question though, right? What is better and what is worse? You chase like the higher PHP stand score because you think that is like, well, look, that is a standard and objective thing. I want I want the biggest number possible, the fewest number of issues possible. Well, you just create problems kind of in the real world. So I think it is all about sort of figuring out like what what is that balance between sort of like, you know, better or worse or perfection versus what people actually are using or encountering or need in their workflow. And unfortunately, that's an area that requires a lot of like wisdom and judgment to sort of make those determinations. And Lucas, I, I remember that issue now where it was about like, are you referring to the final uh, um, what do you yeah. call it, declaration? And it's yeah. like, yeah, that, that totally made sense. That would be a way that kind of like would keep things better, you know, strict and, and governed. But then that's exactly the frustration that I used to have with WordPress in different places where it's like, just let me code, man. Like I can do it. I trust me. You know, I, I, I will, I will take on that risk. And and it's all about sort of like figuring out where you want to kind of like hit things, you know, perfect, so to speak, but also where you're going to make some really sort of like, um, smart and, or hopefully smart considered compromises that say, this is what we need to do to differentiate how we believe uh, our product should be used. Like chasing, for example, 100 score on PageSpeed Insights. Yeah, 
it feels good, right? But exactly. actually, I, I've, I've yet to see a, a trophy show up at anyone's house or a giant check that says, <laughs> oh my God, you've got 100% you know, uh, code coverage or, or anything like that, or A-plus code score. It's like, those are good things to watch because you don't want to do things that are just like dumb. But I think the wisdom is sometimes knowing that it's like, uh, am, I chasing the, am I chasing the right thing here? And uh, that, that takes a little bit of like um, gumption to step back and be like, oh yeah, um, that's, that's not the right thing to be chasing right now. Mm-hmm. And do you guys have any other, let's say, um, learnings and findings from the process? You, you, we talked about, um, that, uh, perfectionism, right. Or, or, or chasing that, that chasing for the sake of chasing instead of, let's say sometimes let's say solving, but what else, uh, brings to your mind when, when thinking about learnings um from the whole process across you know 11 years now yeah to me one of the the biggest things that i have learned is um uh you know talking about you know the, the the not perfection the first version of timber was objectively terrible like you know just you know fundamental errors in terms of like how things should be structured but it was through that process that it was able to sort of like find um, some users who pointed that out for me. And now we're talking like, you know, 2013 era before Lucas, you even got to the scene to be like, what on earth are you doing, man? You know, and and having that pointed out was um, so valuable. Whereas if we had kept that stuff completely in-house, completely proprietary, completely secret, we would still be making the mistakes of 2013. 10 or 11 years later and what, what a total tragedy, you know? So it's, it's about sort of like putting things out there, learning, um, you know, there've been different sort of like complementary uh, packages and stuff that we slash upstatement slash timber has put out over the years. Some of which have really found sort of like a zone and others have been like, yep, uh, that has not been updated since 2017 and no one cares, you know? All right. <laughs> Lucas, anything to add? Yeah, sure. Uh, I think, yeah, for for me, it just um, I just learned so much. Actually, it made me um, a better developer. I, I learned stuff like um, test driven development through Timber. <laughs> oh, actually, started to to apply it, um, and when I when I look at um, how I started out uh contributing i think um i'm a person who wants to to do right by everybody like <laughs> i want to 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 cater to everybody so everybody's happy but then i had to realize yeah this is also not going to be possible like you have to to take decisions on what issues you're going to work on and what you're going to accept to be included in the code base and Oftentimes it's, uh, yeah, you, you just have to say no, <laughs> which I can do better in the meantime. <laughs> At the beginning, it was it was much harder for me. Yeah, but um, I think there's, there's also some other people in the project that, that uh, helped me get through this. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, others who said like, uh, yeah, maybe we shouldn't add that. And then, yeah, you have to be humble enough to, to reconsider and maybe sleep one or two nights more overrated than <laughs> um 
think about yeah um there's so many so many um ways in which timber can be used and um, sometimes you make assumptions and they are wrong and you get corrected and yeah you start to and, and, try and to, to accept them and be humble about it <laughs> yeah, and people are the users are not um softening the blow i guess or, or or are they because this is like open source community so i i uh, what kind of feedback do you get if you i don't know worsen the things is it like the blow <laughs> is softened or 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 is it not really <laughs> yeah 95 of people i think are just like you know wonderful humans uh out there right. want to help and then occasionally and it's really occasionally sometimes you're just like why did you say that? Like, that's mean. Like, like what's All your right. problem, you know? And, uh, but, you know, the, the vast majority of people are just like, you know, um, uh, you know, just, just wonderful and understanding users, collaborators, downloaders, testers, triers, you know, uh, and, and people I think are fundamentally like, you know, on your side and they're there to like help and try and make things better. And, um, You know, again, I can count on maybe one and a half hands the number of negative interactions I've kind of directly experienced. For the most part, it, it really is just rewarding and, and supportive. Big shout out to the community. Um, <laughs> that's uh, it's really nice uh, from all of you that that you're just so understanding and <laughs> nice to us. <laughs> totally, we've got a hundred plus people who have, um, you know, official code commits in the Timber repo. And I would guess five times as many people who have submitted comments, questions, et cetera, through GitHub issues or pull requests. And at the same time, like when the pull requests come through and it's like, hey, this is a really good idea, um, but it's just not for us. Um, uh, I can't think of any time any one has ever freaked out and said, you have no idea what you're missing. You know, this is the most, people are like, okay, cool. I get it. Like I'm going to, you know, either a try something else or B maybe this is the perfect thing for my own sort of like personal layer or kind of uh, proprietary library. And that's where a lot of other tools have been born that sort of take timber and go to the next level and say, how can we make this a more specific form fitting thing for our particular client set or agency? Um, and again, it's, it's people are, generally like really smart, really understanding and all looking toward to, to build the best possible pieces out there. That's, that's great. This is, I, I, I think if it would be the other way around, that wouldn't be so uh, rewarding to work on or, or would scare people off. All right. So before we wrap up, um, uh, what's on the roadmap? for 3.0 let's say <laughs> this is like <laughs> roughly ask, roughly yeah that's like <laughs> asking a woman right after she's given birth like well when's the next kid coming <laughs> okay i'll <laughs> empathize with a little bit <laughs> I, i mean from my end what actually i want to focus on is the rhythm that we get into not for 3.0 but for 2.1 and 2.2 and that sort of rhythm, because I really want to make, learn from the mistakes of like waiting for this big giant release that's going to fix all our problems and instead closing that cycle and saying, what can we do in the next three to six months to address the most relevant issues and the most important new use cases that have developed? Zero in on those, focus, 
release something, get that feedback, and then learn, you know, rinse and repeat. So uh, that is to say, um, uh, let's we're going to focus on raising this kid, I think, before before the next one. What do you think, Lucas? Am I, am I wrong there? What What are your big dreams right now? <laughs> yeah, well, uh, if we talk about Timbo 3.0, maybe you think like, oh, it's going to be a completely different thing again. <laughs> but I guess it's not. We're not going to reinvent the wheel, um, but we want to focus more on getting things even more stable and um, ready for the future. There, there are updates coming to PHP, to WordPress, um, where we have to stay compatible. And we are trying to, to do that in a way that, um, yeah, that's... Um, going to work for developers uh, one thing that we would try to work on which is maybe uh, an area in itself is um, image manipulation like the whole area about um, how you can work with images in timber um, is probably going to to get an update and there are some very nice ideas out there uh, for how to to make it even easier um, to to apply different manipulations to images, um, be it resizing, be it um, uh, converting it to different image formats, um, and also like handling all the files that Timber generates. That's also one topic that we want to focus on. Um, I think we're, we're gonna going to add more strict types, which means like um, the. the the language in PHP in, with the last versions it evolved in a way that um, it allows you to to add more um, types to classes, functions, parameters, so that uh, you get more er errors if you if you have a, a wrong type that you input into a function. And this is something that makes codebase much more reliable and. I think we're striving towards that. Um, and one quote that I always come up with again, which is actually by you, Jared. <laughs> you said that in another podcast is that um, Timber tries to, to get out of the way. So um, maybe we're going to see some changes where uh, we're going to remove some parts of Timber and... Um, at a library instead or tell you yeah, like you can use this this or this library to to actually uh, get to the same result which is going to to make it easier for us to to maintain the code if we if we don't have to to like uh, maintain every single feature that tim provides yeah. uh, this is very humble uh -huh. <laughs> you know, hum very hum humble statement. <laughs> that, that goes back to Lucas, what you said earlier today. It's you know that platform mindset and being able to create a space that you can make it easier to mix and match and pull in all these different things while trusting that developers know what they need. Um, and we want to support and help them get there, do so in a way that has a certain sort of logic that everyone is like aligned with, but then recognize that like the best stuff has still yet to be built. And we want to make sure that things are open enough so that you're not running into walls that we've built, but rather roads that we've paved. 
<laughs> nice. <laughs> write that down. Write that down. Yeah. It's all recorded. It's all recorded. <laughs> Another quote. All right. All right, gentlemen, thank you very much hey. uh, for for the recording. Um, it, it was a great conversation. Thank you very much. This is also for us, uh, you know, at awesome. We, we use Timber, right? Yeah. Yeah, that's why <laughs> that, 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 that's why this is so interesting to me and, uh, and, and for the team. So thanks again and and take care. All the best in 2024. It's very early January, so I'm, I guess I can say that. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. It was a lot of fun. Thank you so much for, for bringing us together. Pleasure is all. Thanks. Thing. Thanks for having us. <laughs> If you like what you've just heard, don't forget to subscribe for more episodes. On the other hand, if you've got a question we haven't answered yet, feel free to reach out to us directly. Just go to awesomestudio.com forward slash contact. Thanks for listening and see you in the next episode of the Awesome to Know podcast.